0: Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And today we have Dr. Isabella Wentz calling in from Austin, Texas, and she just wrote a book, and she's going to talk about her book called The Adrenal Transformation Protocol. So welcome, Isabella. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, John. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So we had a little bit of a conversation before we got on here and you said you're from, originally from where?
1: I'm from Poland originally, and then I came to Chicago, which is like Poland 2.0, and then I've lived all over the United States, I've lived in Los Angeles, I've lived in Phoenix, Colorado, um, I'm in Austin, Texas now, and I've also lived in the Netherlands.
0: Nice, and how long have you been in Austin, Texas?
1: I have been here in for about six months, but the funny thing is, I, was, I almost moved here two other times, so... Once, right after I finished pharmacy school, my husband and I were planning to move here. And then another time, right before we moved back to Chicago, we were planning to move to Austin. So I guess third time is a charm. We're finally here.
0: This book and this information that that you've kind of put out to the world, how did this originate and where did you get this direction from
1: my book is focused on adrenal transformation and so that that might sound a bit vague right and my first kind of encounter with the adrenals and what they do and their role in creating energy in our bodies came about Over a decade ago, when I was a young pharmacist who was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, an autoimmune condition that impacts the thyroid gland, and I had chronic fatigue syndrome and just was not feeling my best in my 20s. And somebody came to me and said, one of the healthcare professionals I was working with, and said, have you looked into adrenal fatigue? Do you think you might have that? And so I went on like Google and I, I looked up adrenal fatigue and at Google said it doesn't exist, right? It's not a thing. It doesn't, you know, it's a quack diagnosis. It's not real. And me being a pharmacist, I was like, okay, so this isn't a real thing and I'm just going to move on, right? Maybe I'll find other ways to support my energy levels. And I had brain fog and fatigue and unrefreshing sleep, even though I was sleeping 11 hours a night. And like this anxiety and just, just kind of this like suppressed vitality, right? My, I just wasn't feeling like a 20 year old should have been feeling and finally another person mentioned this adrenal fatigue thing and I maybe it was like the 15th person I finally was like okay fine I'll try it right I was kind of desperate I was like I'll try to try anything at this point to feel better because I feel so awful I'm so exhausted all the time and I tried the recommendations for adrenal fatigue and holy cow they worked! so I actually felt better my brain fog went away I had energy Uh, my anxiety stabilized and I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to be human. And Mm. at that point I started writing my um, first book, the Hashimoto's, the root cause. And I talked about all the different things I did to um, help myself get into remission from Hashimoto's and feel my best. And then kind of, I've been talking about adrenals and adrenal dysfunction and how to grow your energy levels for the past decade. But in the last few years, this became really a, a big important thing for me to share because as a new mom, I found myself again really tired and exhausted. And I realized that some of the other old recommendations I used to give people for recovering their energy levels, I couldn't really do. Like, I couldn't quit coffee as a new mom. I couldn't sleep for 10 hours to recover as a new mom. Like, I was waking up all night. I couldn't utilize hormones, which is. You know, from my pharmacist training in integrative medicine, we, that's what I was recommending was like hormones, quick caffeine and get off of, um, try to sleep as much as you can. So I, I created this new protocol initially to, to help myself thrive. And now I've piloted it with over 3,500 people. And it really takes people out of that stressed survival burnout mode and shifts their bodies into more of a healing, resting, digesting, thriving mode. So I had to get the word now, out.
0: Breaking down Hashimoto's, because my brother has Hashimoto's um, and breaking that down, what what does that actually look like from a, a balanced standpoint? Because when things happen, it's an unbalance in the system.
1: Absolutely. When somebody has Hashimoto's, that usually means their thyroid gland is under attack by the immune system. And this eventually results in thyroid gland not being able to produce thyroid hormone. Now, thyroid hormone impacts every cell in our body. It runs our metabolism. It helps to generate heat in our bodies. And typically a person with Hashimoto's might be told after some time, if they're properly diagnosed, that they have a sluggish thyroid and they may get recommended a medication like levothyroxine. But the way that they feel is they're gonna be fatigued. They're gonna have trouble with day-to-day tasks, they might have hair loss, they might have weight gain. So they're doing all the same exercise as everybody else is doing, but they're still gaining weight, right? Um, men typically will say that their libido really suffers, that they can't grow facial hair as well as that they used to grow facial hair. They're having muscle wasting and muscle mass wasting. Um, and women typically, you know, the biggest things women complain about are like the brain fog and fatigue and the extra weight gain. The things that, and this is kind of what doctors are really aware of, and the person with these symptoms might get diagnosed. Cold intolerance is a big red flag. Um, Upper Loss of your upper eyebrows is a big red flag, and hair loss is also a big red flag. But there are also other things that happen in the beginning stages that I'm really hoping to raise awareness about, and this is miscarriages in women. So a lot of times women in their 30s, they're not diagnosed with a thyroid condition. They're not even tested for a thyroid condition where that can cause multiple miscarriages. It can cause trouble to conceiving. It can cause developmental issues with the babies. So this is something that's super, super important and relevant. And then in people in their twenties, a lot of times the very first symptoms of Hashimoto's are gonna be obsessive compulsive disorder, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and maybe some kind of a depression, right? When the thyroid gland is under attack by the immune system, This results in thyroid hormones being broken down and then they get dumped into our bloodstream. Now thyroid hormones, when we have too much of them, we feel really anxious and irritable. And this is kind of what's happening where you just get this immune attack and you get dosages of excess doses of thyroid hormone dumped in and people will Go to the doctors and they'll say, I feel anxious. And they'll get prescribed an antidepressant. When if the doctor were to do comprehensive work, they would say, Let's test you for thyroid antibodies. And holy cow, are these thyroid antibodies elevated? Let's work on getting them normalized. Let's work on that autoimmune inflammation in your body to lower that response. So you're not going to feel anxious. So you're not going to feel have all of these weird mood swings, prevent multiple miscarriages, um, and so on and so forth. And this is this is a passion topic for me as you can tell.
0: Awesome. I, I mean I, I love the passion. I, I think one thing people don't look at is environment and I think a lot of times environment is a big factor in most things that people carry you know to this world you know from their parents. Is there something that they've looked at environmentally that that may be you know causing this? This problem.
1: There are a lot of environmental factors that have been connected to Hashimoto's and autoimmunity. So various, various toxins in our environment can be triggering things like excess fluoride can suppress thyroid function. Um, sometimes gluten proteins can cross-react with thyroid anatomy on our thyroid gland. And that can result in some cross-linking If somebody's gluten sensitive, for example, or has celiac disease and they're still eating gluten. Then their immune system attacks the gluten and anything that looks like it, including the thyroid gland, because there are some similar protein sequences with that. And then there are also things like internal triggers. So a very common infection known as H. pylori, which can be exacerbated by stress. Um, typically, people think about here of it; it could, it could cause ulcers. But this has also been implicated in autoimmune thyroid conditions and can be a really relevant trigger for Hashimoto's as well as Graves' disease, which is a, which is a different type of autoimmune condition.
0: Well, when you think about that and you think about uh, the fluoride, you know, why the hell is it still in uh, toothpaste? You know what I mean? Think about that it's that's pretty wild i mean you know um is there any any definition about the fluoride situation or do they just know that this type of substance can create the this type of situation in people
1: i mean i think public health officials always are trying their best to keep a population healthy and they i do think they have good intentions and so they've done things like adding fluorides because it can prevent and stabilize some cavities, but then if you use it in doses that are too high, so if you're getting it from your toothpaste and from your water supply and so on and so forth, then you can end up with actually doses that can suppress thyroid function and it's a dose related response, right? And then similar thing with iodine, the public health officials are like, okay, we don't want anybody to be iodine deficient. let's put some iodine in the salt supply. And a lot of times iodine is a narrow therapeutic index nutrient too. And so people will end up with with actually flares up in Hashimoto's when they have too much iodine. Um, and there's there have been studies in countries before they added iodine to the salt supply and then after, and the rates of Hashimoto's sometimes double, triple, quadruple. So I feel like it, it's always a double-edged sword when we try to do one thing to benefit maybe a subset of the population. We're all unique individuals, right? And we all respond differently. So if we have the genetic predisposition for Hashimoto's, that can get expressed whenever we're taking in those lower amounts of fluoride and of iodine that perhaps other people in our population might be helped by or not affected by, right? Or not affected in the same ways. For me, it's very... Um, very interesting to see how that's been approached in the United States when i lived in the Netherlands one of the one of the things they said about fluoride and the water supply they said we don't add drugs to our water we just don't do that right where the mm-hmm. US has a slightly different stance on that where Sure, we can add fluoride to, to our water, right?
0: Well, I've had this big thing recently. and a lot of people from Italy I've have been put in front of me. Obviously they call themselves Italians and, and I think I think most of the people from Italy are indigenous people because they they've kept a pure source in their country, and I think that's a big deal, you, you know. And I, I'm I'm not sure about where you you're from and the uh, the country you're talking about. The Nether- you said the Netherlands, right?
1: I'm from I'm Poland. Sure. Where I
0: or, in Netherlands. or Poland, but you said you were in. where would you say you were in this conversation just now? To, what country was that?
1: The Netherlands. I live there. Netherlands.
0: From- as well yeah I mean living there the different differences in the Netherlands than here do you think they they protect their people a little better in a way just I mean that's kind of a, a could be a deep-rooted question but you know it's like in Italy they don't let GMOs into the country you know are there things like that in the Netherlands that uh, the country doesn't let in it keeps their people you know protects their people in a way
1: I, I think there's a lot of things that Other countries do differently from the United States that many Americans may not be aware of. And so things like, you know, not adding fluoride to the water supply, this is mostly done in the United States and parts of the UK and not the rest of the European countries. And then direct to consumer drug commercials. Um, If you grew up in America, you're used to seeing those on the television or you're, you know, you're going through a magazine or you're perhaps scrolling the internet and you see a drug ad did you know that the only two countries that allow direct-to-consumer drug advertising are united states and new zealand so hmm. the rest of the world doesn't you know you're it's not allowed like you're trained yeah. you know, pharmacist and we i was very surprised about learning how different government agencies and how different you know how differently different countries treat their citizens and what's allowed in one country and what's not allowed in another country.
0: And all these things, how much studying have you done? Because you are very defined in, in these narratives. I mean, this, is, this has been a lifelong process for how long studying this information for you. How long has this been?
1: Wow. I guess I first became passionate about health as a young, 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 young girl. My mom was um, a physician in Poland. And so I also always knew I wanted to help people with their health. So even, even as a little girl, somebody would come to our house and needed, um, needed wound care or something. They, you know, they, they got hurt. And my mom would say, You know, Isabella, come help me, right? And so I would, I would bring the band-aids over, right? And I, I was like a three-year-old medical assistant, well, in in my mind. So I just have always been super passionate about that. But I am in my forties, and I would say most of my career, I started working as a pharmacy technician at age sixteen. So more than twenty years. It doesn't seem like more than twenty years because I think I still feel twenty-two, right? It's been quite a few years since I started learning about health, and it's a huge passion of mine.
0: Well, I mean, I think that speaks to your foundation and speaks to your thoroughness about this subject. And in writing this book, what are you trying to teach people? I mean, you know, we talked about the Hashimoto and what that is specifically and what is your overall agenda, you know, because if if the medical systems narratives are not defined, I'll say defined the right way. I think a lot of this type of information is going to come out, you know, and I think people like you thought leaders in these spaces are going to be the educators education pieces to maybe help change some of these medical narratives? I mean, what is your position and, and what is your goal with this current book you have out?
1: My goal is to really help people who are struggling with brain fog and fatigue, maybe trouble waking up in the morning. They feel like their vitality is gone. They are anxious, irritable. They're having trouble falling asleep and they're going through life with some of these symptoms that are quote unquote common, right? But they're not normal symptoms. Like we should feel energized and present and vital and have really great sleep and have energy to do the things that we want to do and things that we enjoy. And it should be a calm energy, right? And so we should should feel good. And I want to let people know that there is a way to tap into that. And just because, you know, the way that our modern society is set up, we're a lot of us are in that survival mode, right? So we're kind of feeling burned out. And I want to teach people how to shift out of that into more of a thriving state where you feel energetic, fit, calm once more, and that this can be done in like three to four weeks. So even if you've been sick for 10 plus years, there are very specific things that you can do just to tap into making yourself feel, basically what you need to do is make yourself feel safe in order to thrive.
0: How does this affect you mentally? You know, when you, when you go from a point of a mental state of not having energy, not being able to do the things that you wanna do to having that, what is that? What do you think that does to the psyche of a person?
1: Well, you know, I could tell you time and time again, people sometimes in their 20s, sometimes in their 70s that have gone through my program, it's just like a light bulb goes off and they're able to finally follow their dreams and they can do the things that they didn't think they could
0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Good and things become possible for them. So I have women that become like first time authors in their 70s or, you know, the they're like, finally, I could spend time with my horses. Um, I haven't been able to take care of my horses for 10 years. And they can follow their dreams and goals when they sort of awaken from that really fatigued sleeping woman, sleeping, tired woman state. And, you know, they say when sleeping women awaken, they can move mountains. And that's what happens when people get their vitality and energy back. They can live on their own terms and they could do all all of the things that they dreamed about. I mean, personally, so I've I've helped lots of people get to that place. And personally, in my own health, in my twenties, I had chronic fatigue. So I know what that's like. I was going to work, coming home, exhausted, right? I would sit on the couch, eat some food, watch some TV, go to bed by nine. The next morning, I crawl out of bed by 8 a.m. exhausted and kind of repeat the the pattern. And I had goals and aspirations of, and dreams of things I wanted to do, but I just had to guard my energy. So I didn't have enough energy for friendships. I didn't have enough energy to to write. You know, I'd always wanted to write, and I just didn't didn't have the brain capacity or energy. And everything in my day to day life felt like a chore. It felt overwhelming, and so. Really recovering my energy has allowed me to be the person that I am today. I have a family. I have a beautiful son. I have a husband I adore. I have friends. I have books that I've written. I've been able to start a supplement company and I'm able to inspire other people because I took charge of my own health, right? And so I want people to be able to follow their dreams.
0: All right. So walk walk me through if someone's all right, we have Hashimoto's. What's the first thing someone needs to do? Walk me through a little bit of this.
1: Definitely, if somebody just got diagnosed, I would recommend taking some time to connect with your feelings, perhaps grieving, just kind of let it all out. I feel a lot of us tend to suppress our feelings. And then when we don't process our feelings properly, they can kind of weigh down on us and prevent us from really taking action. So, so kind of, you know, really connect with yourself and really be present to all the feelings that come up. Are you scared? Are you disappointed? Are you frustrated? Be present to all of that. And then once you've gone through that, that ability opportunity to, um, be present to that comfort yourself, to let yourself know that you're going to be okay. And then focus on your healing. So Focus on creating some space for healing, and then you would do things. I would say that one of the best things you can do is getting off of inflammatory foods and balancing your blood sugar. Most people that have been eating the standard American diet and standard Western diet, we just you know we just eat too much sugar, right? So we're um, bread turns into sugar, right? All of these things turn into sugar in our bodies, and that puts us on a blood sugar roller coaster.
0: Everything except red wine.
1: I, exactly. <laughs> Learning to tune into your body and seeing what makes your body feel good and for most people it's making sure that you're eating plenty of protein and fat throughout your day and sometimes that can help you with your energy and help can help you let go of your fatigue let go of some of that weight gain can help reduce the autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland if you're sensitive to foods like gluten and dairy Many people are, especially people with fatigue, because these foods are very challenging for the digestive system. If you're full of energy and your energy is good and you're eating these foods, it works for you, it works for you. If you're exhausted, there's a chance that it's because you're not digesting your food properly because digestion is a really big, really big impact, takes a lot of our energy. And when we don't digest our foods properly, we can end up with this fatigue. So getting rid of some of the more difficult to digest foods is something that I would recommend. And utilizing smoothies to give yourself some of that protein and fat and some of the micronutrients as perhaps your breakfast, this can actually liberate a lot of your energy because smoothies are pre-digested. And so you're saving up on digestion and this is incredible for how people just utilizing some of these things will find that they have so much more energy they don't feel exhausted right
0: now my friend Dave Sandoval he's a leading superfood guy his company is Purium health products his biggest thing is no dairy no soy. He doesn't even entertain those two things. And when you think about dairy, everybody, everybody, you know, eats dairy to, you know, a large size of the population eats dairy. And, and there's so much soy in foods. Does soy have have a play in this as well that it causes an issue?
1: Soy can be problematic for people with thyroid issue issues. It can cause... Um, there have been studies done in in infants fed soy formula that they had higher rates of hashimotos and thyroid issues later on in life of course you know we don't know 100% that it causes it but i have seen in my clients that soy does tend to flare up that autoimmune response and does tend to increase antibodies so people people can actually connect to you know what's going on in their bodies if they have hashimotos based on their anxiety levels If you're feeling anxious right after eating a certain food, there's a good chance that food is is not your friend. Gluten, dairy, and soy are three of the most challenging proteins to digest. So soy is gonna be a problematic food for a lot of people as well. I have noticed that people with um, Hashimoto's do tend to be sensitive to it. People can generally connect foods to how they feel. And foods that make you anxious when you're eating them, that's a good sign that they're flaring up your autoimmune response. Um, So so soy has been studied in in infants who have drank soy formula that can increase the rates of thyroid issues later on in life. Gluten, dairy, and soy are some of the most difficult proteins to digest, and a lot of times they're highly processed. So they are three of the foods that getting rid of them from your day-to-day diet can actually liberate and get rid of a lot of that inflammation in your body and liberate some of that energy.
0: Now, you know, now Dave mentions, you know, estrogen levels and it's always very bad for females. What do you think the connection with the estrogen levels and the thyroid? What's the, what is that connection that you might need to be working? Worry about. Is there a connection there with that?
1: Definitely. So, whenever somebody has too much estrogen, they might have something known as estrogen dominance. And if you're eating a lot of high estrogen foods, that can kind of stimulate that, including soy or taking supplements of that nature, or perhaps you're exposed to mycotoxins that can act like um, estrogen in your body or any kind of other toxins in the environment, like some of the endocrine-disrupting toxins. These can lead to more um, estrogen kind of symptoms and estrogen dominance in the body. This can definitely interfere with thyroid function, and the how how the different thyroid hormones are bound up in the body so part of you know i go through in my first second and third book i go through a lot of the different triggers that can be uh problematic for hashimoto's and estrogen dominance is something that's very relevant and i think soy potentially because of the estrogenic compound Uh, estrogenic issue, as well as some of the digestive issues, it can be a problem food for people with um, Hashimoto's for sure.
0: So when you talk about triggers, you know, Western medicine says that, you know, when you first go to a doctor, they're like, you know, what kind of diseases did your parents have or whatever? And I don't know completely if that narrative is true. I mean, they say DNA could be 10%. So what is there a, a level of uh triggering you know in someone you know is it the amount obviously that people's defense mechanisms are different because of the different balance you know a trigger is obviously you have you're you're doing something you shouldn't be doing so if you take out dairy you take out soy you take those two triggers out of your system is there anything else that that someone may not know about
1: So I love utilizing food as medicine. I think this can be incredibly helpful for people to heal. It's usually one of the first things I recommend is balancing your blood sugar and getting off of inflammatory foods. But if you don't have success with that, some people do go into a complete remission just by using food as medicine. There are other patterns and things that I like to focus on. One of them is balancing the stress response. So people with thyroid issues and people you know in the general population, a lot of us might be stuck in that survival mode where we are in fight or flight all of the time and our body just isn't tuned into stress properly. and our body gets overwhelmed with stress. So part of what a lot of people need to do beyond, then um, I would say this would be like you know maybe step two, when you get off of the inflammatory foods you may want to really look at your stress response and really support that stress response this is because when people have um, low levels of of the stress hormone cortisol in their body this can actually make them feel very very exhausted and tired and when they and this can lead to autoimmune conditions and autoimmune inflammation and when have they have too much of the stress hormone cortisol in their body or stress perception then their thyroid Hormone receptors may be blocked. And then, even if they have enough thyroid hormone on board, that may not in- interact with the receptors properly. And so, a big part of what I also recommend is focusing on that stress response. So looking at what are the things in your day-to-day life that you're doing that are sending you in that stress overwhelm response, right? And so we go back through, okay, what are your daily habits? Like, do you find, um, are you, you know, what, what are you doing? Are you over exercising Because that could be perceived as stress for your body, right? If you feel more tired after your exercise, then that's going to be a stressor for you. Are you, um, we talked about eating, eating the wrong foods but sometimes it's not eating enough food. If you're on a calorie deficit, that could be sending the message to your body that you are in a famine, right? And so that that could be your body, you know, what do you do in a famine? How do you survive a famine? Is the body could respond by slowing down your metabolism, right? And the thyroid gland runs our metabolism. So the body's wisdom tries to slow down the metabolism when it senses a famine, and so part of turning that around is making sure that you're eating plenty of nourishing foods, so that your body doesn't think it's in a famine. It kind of shifts out of that stress response and shifts more into a thriving state. And then I focus on utilizing things that um, utilizing nutrients that get depleted when somebody's in that stress response, and these these are things like magnesium, B vitamins vitamin C and some electrolytes. This can be incredibly helpful as well as utilizing adaptogens to raise a person's resilience and then restoring mitochondrial health. So I do a lot of um, mitochondrial support as well. And I found this can be very helpful for a person with Hashimoto's who struggles with their energy levels and fatigue is to really support them support their thyroid function, support their adrenal function, support their stress response, and support the mitochondria.
0: I have two more questions that just popped in my head, but I'm going to combine these two questions. One is... Looking at your creative, how do you pull off the creative with your socials with this narrative, which I thought was very unique and interesting to me? And the other thing is, you know, when people start these protocols, sometimes it's hard. You know, I think that first 60 to 90 days when you're trying to attack anything is very, very hard. But if you can get past the initial Thing. how do you implement this that in your life with how you live now like full functionality
1: So it always is tricky to start new things and I think one of the things I recommend is preparing first so you know if you're trying to go sugar free don't keep a bunch of sugar in your house right yeah so, and have some alternatives prepare for yourself if you're if you know that you're you're gonna want to go gluten- free and dairy free, then make sure you have snacks that you can eat right in your house or wherever you're going. So you're not in a bind. And perhaps that's sitting down with some cookbooks. Perhaps that's sitting down with my book and going through some of the recommendations or downloading some of the bonuses that I offer that go through like how to actually prepare. Because I feel like if people don't prepare properly, then, you know, if if you don't plan for success, then, then there's a chance you might fail if you don't plan properly. If you're just like, I'm just going to do it tomorrow without having, having. Yeah. Done
0: so get Isabella's book first, then prepare properly. And then, like I said, the the creative, some of the content I saw, I thought was very unique and interesting. And you don't look like you're in your forties. You look like you're like 28 or something like that. Um, oh. By the way, where do you come up with your creative for the videos and, and to express your narrative and your personality? Where does that come from? Just, you know, what is your thought process on that?
1: It's a lot of fun. And so I will have random ideas at random times. But the tricky part is getting them all out, right? just having yeah. the time to get all of the ideas out that I have. But I typically will think of something that I, I wanna share that I think would be relevant and helpful. My goal is to always be as helpful as as I possibly can. That's kind of the filter that my content goes through is like, is this helpful? Is this inspiring? And I, I try to go from that. Some things do really well, some things not so much. Sometimes people don't get it, right? Sometimes yeah. I try to be funny, which I, I think I'm a funny person. <laughs> doesn't always translate in like blog writing or some articles, but it's been fun on short form video to be able to, to show some of my, some of my funny side, which, um, which is, which you can do like in podcasts and in videos. Um, but not every it's, it's interesting because I started off with Facebook and as a blogger 10 years ago. And so that was, one form, right? So that was blog is long form writing and Facebook was more more of that as well. And now with being more on Instagram and a little doing podcasts, a little bit of TikTok, it's it's kind of a different skill set, right? I always just try to be very empowering of people. And I feel like we can talk about things and be sad about them and kind of get into that victim state. And my goal is to always empower people and show them how they can heal and show them what's possible. Um, and sometimes that might be cracking a joke, right? Sometimes that yeah. might be getting them to smile. Um, when we get kind of bogged down and stuck in, and, 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 oh, I feel so bad today. I feel so bad for myself. Sometimes just seeing something a little bit silly can, can get a person to shift away from that and shift them, you know, laughter is medicine, right? Get them yeah. to laugh. A little bit. And that actually shifts them from that survival mode into thriving mode, even for a split second. You do that enough times a day and you're going to
0: feel amazing, right? And if someone wants to find your book and your information, how do we find your book?
1: Sure. My book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, wherever fine books are sold. And my website is thyroidpharmacist.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and just starting off a little bit on TikTok as well, but you can I'm mostly active on Facebook and Instagram.
0: And your recent book is called?
1: Adrenal Transformation Protocol. It's a four-week plan to release stress symptoms and go from surviving to thriving. And I have a copy of it here. Let's
0: see. Flash that that up on the screen there. Very cool. Isabella Wentz. Nice. Well, I think you got a a lot more things coming your way and you're going to have an opportunity to put, put that narrative even out more to the world. And Whoever was listening today, I hope, hopefully, they learned something. And I appreciate you coming on the show. This has been Dr. Isabella Wentz, and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions.